Just a quick word of reintroduction. I'll be brief as I said, uh, had a more extended introduction last week. It's my pleasure to uh, welcome to the pulpit Sam Pasco. Sam was my pastor growing up in Orange Park Church for uh, all of my childhood. So it's a real pleasure to have him with us for these two weeks. In, in the midst of our sermon series on Genesis, this is a little bit of a sermon net, so or a, a, mini, a mini sermon series. Last week was creation, or pardon me, last week we spoke about work, and this week we'll speak about the rhythms, we'll learn about the rhythms of rest. So, Sam, thank you for being with us. Thank you, David. Uh, we just sang, why restless? Why cast down my soul? Uh, good question. As Christians who have a loving Father, why are we without rest? So we'll talk about that in just a minute, but I wanted to point out that the, the music to that hymn, maybe you never look at the little fine print in the bottom, but I do sometimes, and the name of that tune is Martyrdom. Uh, <laughs> Great name for a tune. What should we call it? Let's call it martyrdom. Uh, but the, in, in Greek, the word martyr is usually translated, uh, the, the word martyr itself in, is a Greek word, but it's usually translated witness in the New Testament. And the idea is that our witness is the giving of our lives to God and to those around us. And that is our witness. And so I'm going to talk more about that in just a minute. But uh, first, let me say a prayer, okay? Father, thank you for this time, and we pray that our eyes may be enlightened, that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and your incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen. Okay, first of all, it's great to be back here with you and with an old friend, David, who I knew, David was never little, but he was littler. Uh, and he grew up. Um, I remember following David down. He was an acolyte, and uh, I remember walking behind him um, down the aisle of the church many, many times. So I guess I've known David for 30 years now, something like that, and um, some other old friends I've known even longer, uh, so uh, longer than David. But it's great to be back here with you. I have a question. I, uh, I spent part of my life as a special education teacher working with uh, junior and senior high kids. And part of my job was to try to teach them the metric system. And so I'm going to ask, uh, math teachers are excluded from this quiz. But I'm going to ask if any of you can remember the mnemonic device or the acronym that you were given to help you remember the different stages of the uh, metric system. Anybody remember that? Anybody bold enough? Okay, yes. Yes, sir. I'm, 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 I'm giving you a chance to demonstrate your knowledge. Starts with king. King what? Uh, nope, nope, that's the, that's the, my heart, my head tells me it's a squirrel, but my heart tells me it's the baby Jesus, kind of an answer. No, but you're close. Okay, yes. King Henry died drinking chocolate milk. There you go. The ones that, that, that was the one that all the kids came to me knowing, although there's a variation on that. King Henry doesn't usually drink chocolate milk, which adds the U for the unit 
thing, but the ones that my kids like the best were kids have dropped dead over, over converting metric. That's the one that they liked. <laughs> kids have dropped Kids have dropped dead over converting metric. Okay, dropped over dead converting, I'm sorry. All right. See, I can't even get it. My, my poor students, they, to this day, they don't know the metric system, nor do I. I. I grew up with the same system that many of us did here, which was based on sort of human anatomy. The inch was traditionally the width of, of a human thumb. The, the foot obviously was a foot, the yard, uh, officially was the distance for, from King Henry I's nose to his extended thumb like that. That was the official yard. A mile uh, comes from thousand meal, um, and it was the, the distance a Roman soldier could travel in 1,000 steps. It was, a, it was based on, on sort of subjective human biology. At the time of the French Revolution in the late 18th century, there was an attempt to rationalize these measurements, and so they created the thing called the metric system, which was based on a system of 10, which makes sense. We got 10 fingers, multiples of 10, and those of you who struggled through 7th and 8th and ninth grade and sort of have a vague memory of that, unless you work in the sciences, in which case you, you memorize this stuff and you know it all the time. But it was based on a system of 10, which makes infinite sense. One of the little-known aspects of that was that there was also an attempt during that same period of time to change the seven-day week, which was seen as based on superstitious nonsense. The seven-day week was found in the Bible, and unlike the American Revolution, which was deeply theological and based in many ways on a Christian understanding of God and how governments work, etc., the French Revolution was deeply secular and um, a French philosopher named Diderot said, men will never be free until the last king is strangled with the entrails of the last priest. They didn't like people like me, um, but they also didn't like kings. And they said, we want to get rid of, of everything that's not rational, and there's nothing rational about a seven-day week. A 10-day week makes sense. And so for a while, the French had a 10-day week. And one of the things that they found out is it doesn't work. There is something deeply, deeply embedded, even deeper than our DNA, in the seven-day cycle of work, rest, work, rest. It's something that we cannot change. It, it, it is built into us from the book of Genesis. It's not a law that was given by Moses, even though Moses does talk about it. The cycle is built into us in the very creation. It precedes the giving of the law. And it's something that we dare not mess with. Now, America, because we have a tradition of separation of church and state, we've never been quite sure what to do with Sundays. All right, we had, when I was growing up, we had things called blue laws. And um, maybe some of you here are old enough to remember blue laws. And if you live in the South, there still are blue laws. And if you are a fan of Chick-fil-A, you understand that, you know, there are certain organizations that still honor blue laws. In other words, there were certain things that you just didn't do on Sundays. Certain businesses didn't operate on Sundays. Certain things you didn't sell on Sundays. It was a way of honoring our Christian heritage. Even the word Sunday itself, if you've ever had a, an ice cream treat that it has got syrup poured on it, you may have noticed that the, the, the spelling of that 
is a little different than the spelling of the day of the week. And that is because in Illinois, there was a, a law that when ice cream first came out, they created these things called sodas, which were syrup mixed with ice cream mixed with soda water. I used to make them when I worked at Giffords. Anybody here remember Giffords? Yeah, I worked at Giffords at Bailey's Crossroads until I see that hand. Amen. Amen. Yes. <laughs> you know, we used to hand whip. This wasn't, this is not in my, as the new guy, my job when I got there was to literally hand whip. They would pour, you'd pour a half a gallon of cream into a bucket and it had a little pump that would pump air through the stainless steel bucket and you had a wisp and you would just wisp until you created the whipped cream for that day. And I had an arm like Popeye, let me tell you. Um, but poor old Giffords is, is gone. But uh, this town was so scandalized by everybody buying these sodas on Sunday that they said, well, how do we outlaw this? Well, we'll outlaw soda water. So they outlawed the selling of soda water. And so somebody just poured the syrup directly on the ice cream and they called them Sundays, S-U-N-D-A-E, because that was the day that they sold them. They became a hit. Anyway, but the whole idea of taking one day in seven and resting not only goes against our tradition in America of separation of church and state, it just kind of goes against the, the ideal of America and hard work and 24-7 and give it your all. I want to read you a passage from the book of Jeremiah, and I want you to listen carefully to this. Now, the background to Jeremiah, as many of you know, is that Jeremiah was a prophet to uh, mainly the, 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 the city of Jerusalem, but the southern kingdom. And they had just had a bad time. They'd been conquered by the Babylonians. A lot of the key intellectuals, most of the people in this room would have been gone. You would have been sent off to Babylon in the exile because you're all bright people. As a matter of fact, everybody here except maybe me would have been taken to Babylon. But Jeremiah was talking to the remnants. And he was saying, God isn't done with you yet, but you need to shape up so that God can bless you. You need to align your lives with God's purposes so that God can restore the blessing in your life because you've gotten out of alignment. And so he gives them this bit of advice. This is from Jeremiah 17. This is what the Lord said to me. Go, stand at the gate of the people through which the kings of Judah go in and out. In other words, go to the White House, go to Congress, go to the place where the leaders congregate. Stand also in the other gates of Jerusalem and say to them, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah. He's talking directly to the leadership. And everyone living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. And so God is going to say, this is what you need to do to realign yourself and to get the blessing back and to become the nation you were under Solomon. Is it going to be take up arms and fight? Is it going to be uh, guerrilla resistance? Is it going to be, uh, you know, take a self-help course? Is it going to be buy this CD set for 200 bucks online? What is it? What's the advice that God has? Here it is. Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day. Huh? That's what you got, Jeremiah? We've just been destroyed. Our, our nation is, is in ruins and our leadership has been taken from us. And you're going to tell us what God wants us to do. And your big advice is not to carry a load on the Sabbath day. That's it. Well, we're missing something deeply theological about Jeremiah's advice there. 
He's making a very, very profound point. And I'll just scratch the surface of it by asking you the question, what load are you carrying this Sabbath day? What burden did you bring through those doors? What kind of weight are you putting on your shoulders that doesn't belong there? What responsibility are you carrying into this worship service where your heart is supposed to lift up your heart? We lift them to the Lord. Accept mine, which is heavy laden with probably already during this sermon, many of you have thought, okay, we're going to get out of here at I know how long the guy preaches. He's a guest. Who knows? Uh, we'll get out of here. At, uh, that'll give us just enough time to hit the grocery store and maybe, you know, i got to call my mom. And da, da, da. You've had those thoughts. I know you've had those thoughts. I've had those thoughts while I was preaching. All right? <laughs> it's like Peter, Paul, and Mary singing Puff the Magic Dragon. Yeah, they, they, they haven't thought about that. Anyway, so, uh, no, I, I'm focused, okay? I am focused. The Sabbath is deeply interwoven, like I said, not just into the law. The Sabbath wasn't something that came with the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath is something that is deeply part of our creation. And it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that is given twice in the book of Exodus. It's given in Exodus 20 with the other ones. But then and again in Exodus 31, we talked about the first half of Exodus 31 last week when we talked about Bezalel and Aholiab, and I'm sure all of you remember that. You probably went home and were all excited about Bezalel and Aholiab. I can't imagine you weren't. Um, for those of you that weren't, I'll remind you later. Uh, but the second half of that chapter says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it's holy to you. Notice God's rationale for the Sabbath. It will be a sign between me and you for generations to come so that you may know that I am the Lord. How do we know that God's the Lord? By going to Bible studies, by going to church, by having a bumper sticker, by wearing jewelry. One of the ways we know that God is the Lord is by honoring the Sabbath principle. That, that we rest one day out of seven. And then he goes on to say, anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Ha, 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 gee. The capital punishment for breaking the Sabbath? The same penalty is for murder? The same penalty is for violent crimes? Killing someone because they didn't observe the Sabbath? How on earth can that be justified? How in the world? Many of you, I'm sure, would just want to take that out of there. Now, of course, we don't do that anymore. Um, Thanks be to God, because none of us would be here, me especially, because I'm working on the Sabbath. Uh, but it does, give us, it does give us a window into how seriously God takes this. Moses didn't make this up. This was God saying, look, I take this real serious. I take the Sabbath as seriously as I take human life. 
Because the principle of rest and the principle of honoring the fact that I'm God and you're not, well, it's idolatry if we ignore the Sabbath. It's the only day in the Bible that's given a name. The rest of the days are just one, two, three, four, five, six. But that seventh day is Shabbat. It's holy. And not choosing to rest one day out of seven is a form of idolatry. It's denying the character of God because God himself rested on the seventh day. When we don't honor the Sabbath, we deny the character of God. We deny the love of God because God said, I love you and I want you to do this. It's a denial of God's provision because he said, look, if you skip, if you take a day off, the world will still go on, believe it or not. The world will still function. There will still be a world if you take a day off. And to not believe that that is true is idolatry. It's to say, well, God can't do it without me. If I don't work seven out of seven, the world is going to stop. I promise you. The world was there before you came along. The world will be there afterwards. God is saying, I got it. And if you don't let me have it, that's idolatry. And it's a denial of who God made us to be. He said, I built this into you. And it's my gift to you. The story of Elijah, many of you remember the story of Elijah. He confronted the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, and then Ahab said, you know, actually Jezebel said, and Ahab said, I'm going to get you, you're a bad guy. So he runs from Mount Carmel to Beersheba, which is about 100 miles. And he's tired when he gets there. And he comes to a broom bush. This is, um, this is 1 Kings 19. He sat down under it, prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough. I'm done. Take my life, Lord. He lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. I want you to notice this. Elijah's worn out. He's just, he's, he's done what God asked him to do, but now he's tired. And this angel comes to him and says, get up and eat. He looked around. There by his head was bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Somebody had made him a meal. He ate and drank and lay down again. Spiritual principle here. Sometimes God's will for you is a snack and a nap. Okay? Sometimes God's perfect will for you is a snack and a nap. Jesus, with his disciples, the disciples are working hard, and they return to Jesus, this is Mark 6, told him everything that they had done and taught and what was Jesus' response? Great, keep it up. You know, you're just getting warmed up. You're going to get your second wind. Go back out there. There's a world to be saved. My gosh, you know, you may have visited 10 towns, but there's 20 more that need to be visited. Jesus said to them, Mark 6, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. We saw this in the gospel. Jesus himself does it. For many were coming and going, and this is the scripture, the word of the Lord, and they had no leisure. Jesus' command to his disciples was that they find some leisure. Jesus' command to his disciples was that they take time for leisure, rest, take a break, get off your feet, 
take a snack and a nap. You know, when we first become followers of Jesus, we think of Christianity in terms of addition. There's the math teacher in me coming out again. You take an already busy life and you add to it quiet time, Bible study, church attendance, small groups, some kind of service in the community. And you think of it like, okay, now I'm a Christian, I need to add all of these things to an already busy life. And no wonder you go crazy. As you mature in your life in God, and as you mature in your walk with Christ, you begin to see the spiritual life, not in terms of addition, but in terms of subtraction. You begin to say, okay, I can let that go. I need to let that go because there are other things that are more important. And in order for me to focus on what really is important, I need to let go of the things that are less important. The spiritual life is not about ultimately about addition. It's about subtraction. It's about focusing in on what really matters. And according to the scriptures, one of the things that really matters to God is that you take one day out of seven and that you give yourself a break. I recommend the book Margin by Dr. Richard Swenson. And he points out in there a very simple truth, which is that Things that don't have margins are very unattractive. Books without margins, service leaflets without margins, traffic without margins, airplane seats without margins. I mean, serious. Conversations without margins. They're very unattractive and very anxiety-producing, and yet many of us live our lives that way. We have it timed down to the second. And he's saying... You don't find a marginless life attractive in any area of your life, and you don't find it attractive in other people, people who barely have time for you. Yeah, I can squeeze you in for five minutes next Tuesday. Why would you think that people find it attractive in you? That your date book is so full that you can't fit them in, that your life is so full that you don't have time to sit down with them and have a cup of coffee and talk to them, that you don't find time to just let God speak to you. Do you need more margin in your life? You don't know. I encourage you to ask your spouse or somebody who deeply loves you. Say, hey, am I working too hard? And then get ready for the answer. My hunch is that they may say, yeah, yeah, when you first became a Christian, you had all these ideas about what you were going to do. And when we first got married, we had all these. And now we're just busy, 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 busy. And we never connect with God or with each other. And submit to that. And so I'm going to leave you with a couple of principles. One, having a cycle of rest based in the scriptural understanding that there's a one to seven ratio or one to six ratio. I'll let you math teachers tell me it's one to seven or one to six. I can't remember. That is a way to proclaim who, that we're God's. Why do you do I'm a Christian. Why do you take time off? I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, and I want to honor God by honoring my creation and honoring his providence and his love by taking some time off. It's a gift. God is, the God of the universe is offering you a gift. Jesus himself said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's God's creation just for you. 
Now, we don't need to be slavish about it like some churches. Some churches are just, they turn it into a new law instead of a gift. I remember a friend of mine was a member of another denomination, and the big trial at their national synod was whether you could serve Domino's pizza at a volleyball, at a youth volleyball game on a Sunday afternoon because it made other people work. Da, 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 da. That's turning it into a law, and the law kills. Jesus and Paul are pretty clear about that. But I'm talking about a spiritual principle here. It's a gift. God says, here, it's a gift. I made this for you. Three, it's a reminder that we are not in charge of the universe. If when you take the time to say, okay, I'm going to step back and let God be God. First, it'll be anxiety producing. But then you realize, hey, God really is God. Dang. I can step back. I can let God be God. Four, pick one, uh, pick one day out of seven. Don't have to be Sunday. Pick a day and guard it. Mark it on your calendar. Go through and say, I'm going to take that day off, and I'm going to do whatever is recreative to me. We pronounce it recreation, but it's really recreation. It's, I'm going to do something on that day that renews my spirit, and maybe that is just resting. Maybe that is just turning off your cell phone. Oh, God, no. You know, studies have shown, my wife's a psychotherapist, and studies are coming out now, and even the head of Apple has said this, that there's a whole new pathology out there. If you ask kids, would you rather be without food or without your cell phone? They will say, I'd rather be without food. You know, Don't do anything. Just don't get my cell phone. And I know a lot of adults who feel that way. There's a study that just came out two weeks ago that said when you, put, when you literally take your cell phone out of your pocket and put it on the table at the restaurant, they have done scientific measurements that your ability to connect with the person across the table with you goes down 40%. Just having that phone on the table, even if it doesn't ring, because you're constantly kind of looking at it. 40%. Take a break. Turn it off. Put it in a drawer. <laughs> I put it in the drawer. You won't believe what the preacher said today. I said, I said, believe it or not, I remember a time when there weren't cell phones. That's how old I am, okay? We are in a culture that is addicted to adrenaline and guilt, right? That's the drug of choice for most of the people in this room. You're not a heroin addict, you're not a cocaine addict, except for a couple of you. Uh, but you're an adrenaline addict. You're an adrenaline junkie, and you're driven by guilt. <sighs> oh, I got to get that done. I got to work on this. I got to work on that. I didn't get that done. I got to do more. Folks, those are addictions. And if you give in to those, that's idolatry. When Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light, we need to take him at his word. He said, my life is ordered according to God's priorities. And even though I've got three years to change the world, I'm still going to honor the Sabbath. I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to do what God told me to do. And so I encourage you to take Jesus at his word and take his yoke and take his burden, which is light. As Jeremiah said, how dare you carry a burden 
into my space on the Sabbath day. The Shakers had a hymn that Aaron Copeland made famous. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where you ought to be. And when you find yourself in the place that's right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us enough that you gave us the wonderful gift of a day off. And Lord, we repent for the fact that we have not taken you up on that offer and that we have mistaken our efforts for your love and that we have thought if only we worked a little harder, maybe we could earn your love or maybe we could make you happier or more delighted in us. Lord, forgive us and give us the courage to choose rest and the rhythm of life that you dictated for us. Just as we follow your son Jesus who did that and changed the world. For we pray in his strong name. Amen.